Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Startup Happy Hour. I'm Diana Chen, your host, and I'm here today with Kat Horton. Kat is the co-founder and uh, CEO of Illumivu, which is um, a, an AI company that uses technology uh, and applies it to behavioral research. So I'm really excited to learn more about that and chat with Kat about that. Hey, Kat, how's it going? Hey, Diana, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so fascinated by your background and I want to dive in. But before I do that, can you just tell me a little bit more about Illumivu and what that's all about? Yeah, totally. So we're a digital mental health company, so which means we use technology to help people feel better, essentially. Nice. Um, and so what types of mental health um, illnesses do you treat with the technology? Is it the whole spectrum? And then how, how does the technology do it? Yeah. So we provide our system. So our system is web-based, mobile phones, and wearable uh, devices. And we provide that mostly to researchers and clinical organizations. So we don't like have an app in the app store that you could go and download today. But if you're a part of a research project or you're a patient at a larger clinical organization, then you may be using one of our systems already. Um, so because of that, it means we're able to reach people with a wide range of different conditions and diagnoses. Um, it's been used for things as varied as like substance abuse recovery programs is, is a big one. Um, suicide prevention. We've worked with kids with autism. We work with um, children using marijuana. We've worked with people with anxiety. We've delivered mindfulness interventions, eating disorder interventions, you know, sort of you name it in mental and behavioral health. And one of our clients has probably developed a program on our system to, to reach that population. Gotcha. So you work more with healthcare providers and not with the end patient directly. Yeah. yeah. And mostly with researchers because it's, it's such a, I was going to say it's a new technology. It's really not a new technology. It's been around a while, but it's, it's new in its application to mental health. Um, so it's still very much sort of in the realm of research. People are trying to figure out, for instance, like, so if I'm working with a particular population, what is the, what kind of messages are going to be helpful for them to pop up on their phone? At what points in the day or at what locations or do we, we're getting stress and heart rate from the wearable device? Like, what does that tell us about when is the perfect timing for a message? And how do we tailor that to that individual? So, right, there isn't a one size fits all of it for any group. Um, our system allows people to tailor it for the individual. So a lot of that work is still is being done. So, uh, so through different research organizations, they're figuring out the answers to those questions. Yeah, that's incredible. It's almost like a, a chatbot or what people are trying to do with, you know, natural language processing mm -hmm. and chatbots, but applied to, you know, helping mental health patients get better. So the mental health patient would wear like a, a bracelet or some sort of wearable device uh, that would monitor, you know, things like their heart rate mm -hmm. or their other vital signs. And um, their doctor would be able to track that and then use your app or your use a Lumivu 
to learn how to best communicate with their patient? So, yeah, that's one application for sure, right? So that the, the doctor or the clinician has a dashboard with all their different patients and they're able to see for any one person exactly so physiological data, their heart rate or their stress levels or how much they're moving. They could see that data summarized. They could also see a, a summary or drill down as the details of the self-report from each person. So how they're feeling each day um, or multiple times a day, depending on the situation. So it, it helps clinicians to be able to get a much bigger picture of, of what's going on for that patient, right? So traditionally, you only see your patient when they come into the clinic, which maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe less frequently. This gives you an idea of what's going on when life is happening in between those appointments, right? Which is mostly when life is happening. And so that they can get a better sense of, of what's changing for the patient. But the other part of it is it's also, so that's for the clinicians, it's giving them information to, to better inform the, the decisions they're making about that person's treatment. But for the patients, it's giving them direct feedback in the moment. So the app knows if they're feeling stressed for them, right? So a stress score of 77 for one person is within their normal range, but for another person might be really high. So the app can baseline each individual and it knows if this is a high stress level for me, then it might pop up um, a little notification on my phone and, and check in like, hey, we noticed your stress level is really high right now. Is, are you okay? Is there something going on? Do you need to access any of these resources? Call your therapist, do a meditation, you know, whatever it is that has been programmed into that particular version. Um, and then we get feedback from that. So do people ignore the message? Do they respond to it? Do they do the meditation? Do they do the breathing exercise? How, what do they say about how they're feeling? So that gives the patient like immediate feedback on and help support on what can I do right now, as well as feeding that information back to the clinician or to the researcher. That's incredible. Uh, I love that. So how, how has it been received so far by, I guess, both um, the patients as well as the clinicians? Like, are they mm -hmm. all super excited about it? Or do either group have any hesitations about using the wearable tech? Yeah, well, I, this is an ongoing process, right? So we've been doing this for 11 years. Um, so we're continually evolving the, the system and everything we've added to the system has been in relationship with either the end users who are actually wearing the thing and carrying the phone app or, and with the clinicians and researchers. Um, so I, I feel like it, it's constantly evolving and changing. But I mean, in general, yeah, the, the response is being really positive. For researchers, it makes life a whole lot easier. Before these kinds of systems, and only I'm aware of a handful of these systems on the planet for researchers. And before this was available, I've spoken to researchers who tell me they were trying to do this kind of work with a pager and a notebook they give their patient a notebook and then the pager would beep them like three times a day and they have to stop and write something down, which as you can imagine, is, gives the researchers a bunch of really hard to read data and for the patient, it's really cumbersome. So it, it's, it's really shifting the paradigm in terms of the kind of data you can get um, for the researchers. You know, it's not just the self-report, what the people answer in response to the questionnaires, the surveys that go out, but we also get all this data from their phone, um, you know, where they are, what the ambient light or noise situation is that they're in, how much they're moving, how many steps they've taken, you know, there's so much that's just coming off the phone, and then you add the wearable in, and it's a huge amount of, of data. 
So it's really changing the game in terms of, of the research and, and being able to understand what's going on for people between those appointments. And for the patients, so most of the people that use it are people that have actively in, enrolled themselves in some kind of research project, right? So they're looking for help on whatever it is that they're struggling with. So for them to be able to get something that gives them you know, round-the-clock support, it's not the same as having a therapist live with you, but who really wants that? You know, But that gives them access whenever they need it to some of the content that their therapist or clinician has provided for them. Yeah, and what are some of the results that you've seen from the studies so far? Yeah, well, I mean, there's been many, many, many over the years. Um, so a few that stand out, we, we supported a, a project actually pretty early on with Boston Children's Hospital, who were working with adolescent girls who are using marijuana and trying to help them use less marijuana. Um, and they had a really already really effective in-person um, treatment program that they would use. And then through that counseling they do with the girls, they would develop these very personalized individual messages for each girl and, and would remind sort of send them home with a list and kind of remind them of these sort of messages um so and it was working but they wanted to make it more um more in the moment so it's called just in time intervention so so they used our app to be able to see when girls were at a location that was most likely to mean they were going to use marijuana so and they know that because they'd already told them it's most likely with this friend or when i'm doing this or when i'm traveling or whatever it was and so they'd ask, you know, what are you doing? Where are you? And if they were in a high risk situation, then it would pop up one of these messages that had been developed by the clinical team specifically for that girl. And they found a, a significant increase in, well, a significant decrease actually in this case in, in how much kids were craving and using marijuana compared to their already effective in-person um, treatment program. So that, that was one of the earliest examples of, of how it was used. Um, other things that we've done, we've done a lot of work with suicide prevention, because you can imagine suicide prevention is a very timely matter. Um, you being there at the crucial moment is, is really important. Um, so a lot of people are using our, our app to do that um, and are finding very, really interesting stuff that just you couldn't find with other methods. So before the stu the study came out, this came out of um, Harvard Medical, uh, it was thought you know, there was this idea of it's called suicide ideation, basically the idea that you're thinking about suicide and that that was just sort of one thing. You're thinking about suicide or you're not thinking about suicide. And through using our app and, and they were, I think they prompted people four or five different times a day and asked them about different, different things they were thinking, what was going on, how they were feeling. And they through that found that there was actually at least five different subtypes of suicide ideation. Like there was different ways in which people would think about suicide. And that started to help them then be able to tailor their interventions to be much more specific, either to that person or to which type of thinking they were involved in in that moment. So it's helping to sort of pull out the nuances that, that get glossed over when you use more traditional research methods. Yeah, wow, that's super fascinating. And I, I, over time, as technology has changed, I didn't realize you guys have been around for 11 years. Um, and 11 years ago, the technology was so different. So yeah. how, have, like, how much time do you spend on just figuring out what new technologies are out there? And how do you keep up to date with the latest technologies so that you can incorporate that into, um, into Illumibu? Yeah. Yeah. So we started this in 2009. Um, when, so we started, it was web-based at that point. We didn't even have a mobile app, I think, until 2014. 
Um, but I think that, you know, and that's keeping up with the mobile apps is they, the phones change a lot, you know, as time goes on. But the, the basic instruments that are in the phone are, are, don't change all that much. So we know we're able to tap into to the instruments are there. And what people want to do with those data, obviously changes. But the, I think the biggest thing that's been challenging for us is the wearables, because that that market is just on fire, you know, it, it changes so much. And there's been over the years, I think it's probably five or six years ago, we started integrating wearable devices into the system. Um, and, you know, the space is just really volatile. So a wearable comes on the market and two years later, totally disappeared. So all the development we've done, like the Microsoft Band, we invested in developing and integrating that into our system. And then suddenly they just announced that that no longer exists. Um, and we, you know, we thought Microsoft would probably be a fair bet, but nope. Um, so keeping up with the different wearables that are coming out is certainly a challenge. Um, and and but really looking at what what else is out there in the space the digital digital health obviously has exploded over the last i'd say five to six years and digital mental health really over the last two or three years um so looking really at what other you know what other companies are doing and and because we're we're more in the research space um, then our clients really inform us a lot you know they tell us where they want to go like where the the kind of what's the edge of the research that's been done and they want to take the next step. Um, so most of our development really comes through direct conversations with our clients, you know, that they're looking for specific features. And if we don't have it already, we, we typically will add it for them. If it's something that makes sense and could be used by other researchers, then we will typically go in that direction. Yeah. And uh, do you, are the clinicians that you work with all over the country or all over the world? And um, is there some kind of criteria that they have to meet in order to be, you know, to use Illumivu and be part of this network? Or can anybody, any clinician sign up for this and get it for their patients? So in order to, we currently sell to, to research organizations. So they're university-based researchers. So usually they're grant funded um, and they're doing, you know, human subjects study. Um, we are starting to create different partnerships with various clinical organizations that would then make this available. So say you're a clinician and you had a, a practice, a psychotherapy practice or a psychiatry practice, that you would be able to, through one of our partners, be able to sign up and use the system. So one of our most recent partnerships I'm really excited about is with a company called SciTech. Um, and they are in the psychedelic assisted therapy space which is a very new space that's sort of just, it's really starting to, to get exploding. Um, so they're using our system to create like an adjunct, a wraparound support system for people who are going through psychedelic assisted therapy under the supervision of a psychiatrist. But then when they leave the, the clinic, they have an extra support system in the form of an app that keeps them connected to their psychiatrist and also helps the psychiatrist have a better idea of what, how this experience has landed for them and what kind of changes and impacts it's making in their daily life. Gotcha. Okay, so let's go all the way back to 2009 again. How did you get the idea for Illumivu? What inspired all of this? Yeah, uh, well, at that point, I had been working with kids with autism for 15 years. So I'm a psychologist by background. I'd been working, um, at that point, I think 10 years, I'd been working with kids and families and just saw such a huge need for these parents, mostly, to be able to keep track of what they were doing. They were usually the parents are the people who are coordinating an entire team of 
therapists, nutritionists, teachers, physical therapy, you know, all sorts of different people that are working with their children and trying all these different treatments and therapies and often getting lost and I don't know what's working, what's not working. We're trying so many things, it's so hard to keep track. So we developed, so this was 2009, so it was a web-based system um, that allowed parents to uh, daily report on symptoms they were seeing and what therapies they were using and to be able to then assimilate, uh, collate all that information into charts and graphs um, to help them make better sense of what's working and not working. And then to have a secure platform in which to share it with all the different members of their care teams that have to repeat themselves 55 times a day. Um, so it started from there. It started from like me seeing that there was this huge need in this community and uh, wanting to create something that would fulfill that need. Um, and then once we got that out there, we realized that it was at, what we built was way bigger than the autism world. And, and we started getting calls from different therapists and different researchers asking if, we, if they could use a similar system. So once we'd stripped out all the autism content, we realized what we had was a platform that, could, that was very powerful that could be used for a whole range of different you know, human subjects and behavioral mental health research. So that, that's really where it came from, is the a wanting to help people make more sense of what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, and I, I, I guess what inspired the focus on mental health, you know, having come from an autism, you know, ha- having worked with autistic kids for 10 years previously, um, were, did you think, you know, maybe I can make an app to help autistic kids or uh, what inspired the mental health angle? It was more... Um, it was more working with the parents. So I spent years working with the children. And then, you know, as time went on, started spending more time working with parents and professionals. And that's really where the work was, right? When I played with these kids with autism, they're fine. They're great. They're loving life often, not always, but once you can get them sort of in a stable place, they're doing just great. It was the parents that were really struggling. And that was where most of my focus ended up going was was helping parents move through their grief and their anger and the stress and just all that is involved in in raising a child with with any kind of special needs. Um, So it was really seeing that, seeing the need for that kind of support that most people just either don't have access to or don't have easy access to. And there's still such, such a stigma around reaching out for support around the way we feel. But if we're not feeling good, we're not feeling all chipper and full of joy every day, then we think there's something wrong with us. And that's just not, not the case. It's, it's just being human. Um, so wanting to make that kind of support and that kind of access more accessible and less stigmatized is, is a big piece of it. Gotcha. I love that. So let's go back into your background a little bit. You got your PhD in psychology, and then you worked for 10 years with autistic kids before founding Illumavu. Mm-hmm. At what point did you know that you wanted to start your own company, uh, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Because the path that you took isn't the traditional path that an right. entrepreneur takes. <laughs> so tell me what when you had that interest in startups and entrepreneurship and knew that you were going to take the plunge to create something on your own. Yeah. yeah I mean, I got to a point. So the work that I was doing with, with families of kids with autism was, was through an organization. Um, 
a, a nonprofit organization. And I got to a point where there was just like so much more that I could see that needed to be done. And there was not enough room within that organization for me to do that. I tried, um, but sort of kept reaching a brick wall. And like, there's so many ways in which I want to expand professionally. There's so many different aspects of autism and how to support the parents and how to support professionals that I wanted to explore. And I just, I, I felt sort of stuck in that one role that I had. There wasn't anywhere for me to expand into. Um, and I couldn't find that. Like the only solution was to sort of create my own job essentially, was to create something that I could expand into that would satisfy my curiosity for learning more. Um, and, and I think also just this, like really wanting to, to do something creative, something really creative and, and that again, wasn't allowed for, or so there wasn't scope for in the position that I was in. Yeah, so in terms of actually starting to build up Illumavu, having come from, you know, a background that isn't business, I guess, how did you teach yourself all the things that you needed to know in order to start your own business? Yeah, trial, trial by fire. I, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have done that differently. Um, I just jumped in and was like, yep, yeah, I can figure this out, um, which ultimately I did, but I'm sure it's not the best way to do it. Um, my business partner, Mark, who is our software developer, he's run all the software for LumaView, um, has had, had, had a lot more business experience than me. And so I, I leaned on him as a mentor for sure. Um, that was hugely helpful. Um, and then re just reaching out to other people that I knew that had started some kind of business. I didn't know anyone in this particular space, but really allowing myself to be a student of that, I sort of had to had to come back to, I don't know anything about this. I got to figure this out. And, and who do I know that knows more than me? And let me just ask them a few questions and that will lead to someone else who knows more and more. So I didn't do any kind of formal study. It was just as I was making mistakes, and you know, realizing, okay, this isn't working. Well, who do I, who can I ask and, and try and figure it out? Yeah, for sure. I think the power of networks is huge, especially back in 2009 before, I think that was before all of these online course sites mm -hmm. oh, came yeah. to be, whereas nowadays you can kind of just, you know, go, uh, go on Coursera or go on LinkedIn right. courses and take whatever courses you want and learn about anything that you want in the world. Mm -hmm. Back then, I think it was harder to get information. Um, so before that, you, uh, you're you originally from Edinburgh, right? I'm originally from the north of England. And yeah, I moved up to Edinburgh when I was about 10. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so what brought you to the States? And uh, I guess, you know, have you, was was this always, you know, a dream of yours? Have you thought about going back and kind of, um, expanding this into uh, to to well, it is in England already, and I guess that would be yeah, yeah. that's your connection there. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so well, I, I when I was doing my undergraduate degree in psychology at Edinburgh University, which is in the south of Scotland, was when I started volunteering with a family who had a child with autism, and we're running a home program for him, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with him, with his family, with the method they were using. Um, and just, yeah, I was like, I have to learn more about this. And I worked with a number of other families in the UK who were doing the same program. 
but eventually I just seemed to have this thirsty mind. I was like, I have to learn as much as I can about this one particular methodology. It was so beautiful, play-based, really respectful of the kids, and I just loved it. Um, and the only center that taught this methodology was in Western Massachusetts, um, which, so I had never planned on moving to America. That was never in my life plan. I don't know I had a life plan. I was 24, but I just, that wasn't anywhere close to it. Um, but I followed this like desire. Like I really wanted to learn more about this program and master it. Um, so I applied to their training program, was accepted, came over, trained with them, and then wanted to do the next level of training and then wanted to like start training staff. And, you know, I just kept going. Um, you know, by that time it's nine, 10 years later and I've purchased a house and I have all these friends and I'm like, well, here I live here. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> so I've been in the, the States for 20 years now. Um, have no plans to go back. Um, but I go back and visit my family every year. But there's so much work to be done right here. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And with, I mean, the magic of technology is you can kind of be anywhere and still make an impact globally. Mm-hmm. So outside of work, which I don't know that you have much time because it sounds like you've got a ton on your plate, but outside of work, who is Kat? What do you like to do? What are some of your hobbies? Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm and two farms, one in the north of England, one in the south of Scotland. We moved when I was 10. Um, so I'm, I'm like nature girl. I'm outside all the time. I live on a farm now. Um, so I get to just be with the dogs, be with the goats, go outside. Um, I spend a lot of time outdoors gardening. Um, I'm also like a long-term yogi, so I spend a lot of time, less time than I used to, but on my mat, stretching my body, trying to be in my body. You know, I spend a lot of time at the computer, sitting, looking at this little box in front of me, um, and I really need time to get into my body. Being outside is one way to do that, but stretching, dancing, singing, things that just like bring me back into like, oh yeah, I'm a full human being with a body that goes below my shoulders. I remember that. Um, that's really important to me. Yeah. I think that's a really good reminder for everybody, especially over the last six months or mm -hmm. so when everyone's been cooped up. And there are times I'm like, I feel like I can't get away from this screen. Like mm -hmm. I, I just can't. Every part of my life is pretty much on the screen now because there's nothing else to do. So I think I think that's a great reminder to just step away, go outside, look at some trees and grass, <laughs> do some meditation and yoga. Yeah. Um, I love that. So I know you said that there were some bumps along the road, especially when you were just starting out. You didn't really have a, a, a rule book or anything to go by. Um, if you were to give advice to somebody who's just getting started out or even to yourself 10 years ago, what would be the number one piece of advice that you could give? Yeah, build a support team. Not, not necessarily people that are going to work in your business, although obviously you're going to need those too, but build a team of mentors, um, whether it's coaches or advisors or people that have been down this road before, even starting a business before, ideally in your space. Um, but I feel that that was crucial, like just having people that I could call and be like, ah, <laughs> what do I do? Help me, um, was so, so life-saving. Um, so yeah, having that network of people that, that know you and, and having a coach, actually. I, I only got into receiving coaching probably like two years ago. Um, so I did the first, whatever that is, nine years without a coach. And I can't imagine how I actually made it. 
Um, but having a coach, someone who's like with me every, every day, every two weeks, um, someone that knows me, like intimately knows me, knows how I function, knows the parts of me that will come up and get in the way of me accomplishing what I'm trying to do and knows how to work with that has been hugely beneficial, both, both personally and professionally. When I first got a coach, this was, when was this, three years ago, just two and a half years ago, um, I set the goal that I was going to triple, triple sales by the end of the year. Um, and I was like, I had no idea how to do this. Um, so I got a coach and she was awesome. And w we did it by the end of the year, we tripled the sales and we're having that like clear focus of like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and she just helped me work through it without, she didn't give me advice really. It was more about her supporting me in, in accessing my own wisdom, my own resources. And, and as, as I said, getting rid of those parts or moving aside those parts that get in my way so that I can step forward into what it is I'm, I'm imagining and envisioning. And for people who don't yet have a coach and maybe don't have a network yet and they're just realizing the importance of this and just mm -hmm. starting to build one up, do you have any advice or recommendations for where they can go to start building up this network? I think it can seem like a daunting task when right. everybody's like, build a network, get a coach. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I've, I feel like getting a coach is like, getting a therapist like it's it's very necessary for most people but it's also very hard to find the right one that's going to mm -hmm. work for you yeah definitely yeah so in terms of just sort of a, a general network um i think there's two ways to do it i mean there's the local focus right so i live in a fairly small city out here in the mountains of western north carolina so it's fairly easy to find well before covid it was easy to find networking events and um, you know, different things that you could go to to connect with other entrepreneurs or people in business. There are probably in your city somewhere um, nonprofit organizations dedicated to helping entrepreneurs. So we have a couple here that um, give out grants, they give out loans, and they give out, they do business classes and um, often have, you can find a coach through them also, but there'd be good places to start. Um, SCORE, I believe, is, is nationwide and they, they provide that kind of business advice. Um, and in terms of finding a coach, I mean, there's, if you just type in find a coach, there's all sorts of different directories and, and places that will help match you with a coach. And, and I really, really would encourage people to, to interview, like not just take the first one that sounds good, but actually have deep discussion with at least three or four, maybe five different coaches. And, and you'll know, you'll know one will, will, will just sit right with you. You'll be like, oh, yes, I can relax into the presence of this person and I can open up. I can reveal the things that I don't reveal to anyone else. And it feels right. It'll just feel right. So you might not find that on the first phone call. So interview people till you find someone that, that feels like a really good resonance. I love that tip so much. I think a lot of times people forget that they are able to interview their therapists mm -hmm. and interview their coaches and interview people who, you know, they think, well, they they know everything they're the ones that are giving me advice like what right do i have to interview them but no it's that's how you find i think oftentimes the right person for you so i love that well thank you so much for the tips and all your uh, words of wisdom before we wrap up i always like to play a quick little game with my podcast guests um so i've got the this or that game or the word association game and this or that is just where I say two words, A or B, and you tell me which one you prefer. No explanation needed. Both of these are very quick, rapid fire, uh, random. They're not really 
you know, about business or anything like that. They're just random fun things. So which one would you like to play this or that or the word association game? Let's do this or that. Okay. All right. First one, plane or train? Plane. Hot or cold? Hot. Night or day? Night. Beach or mountain? Mountain. (laughs) Coffee or tea? Tea. Freedom or stability? Freedom. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Time or money? Time. Yoga or meditation? Meditation. Past or future? Future. Work or play? Play. Nice. That's it. That was super, super quick and painless. Um, (laughs) Before you go, Kat, just tell people where they can learn more about Illumaview and where they can reach out to you if they'd like to reach out to you personally um, and plug away anything else you'd like to plug as well. Feel free to throw in. Great. Yeah. So Illumaview.com is a website, I-L-U-M-I-V-U. So if you are a researcher or um, a startup involved in digital mental health or, or mental or any kind of digital health, actually, we'd love to hear from you. Um, SciTech.biz is the psychedelic assisted treatment um, partnership that we have. You can go to them directly. And then for me personally, I'm LinkedIn's probably the best way to get a hold of me, Kat Horton uh, on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. We'll include that in the show notes as well. So people can click through to those links. Thanks so much, Kat, for being here and sharing about Illumaview. I really can't wait to see where this expands to and, you know, h- how it expands with how technology changes in the next 10 years, 20 years mm. uh, down the road. So thanks so much and let's stay in touch and I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diana. I appreciate the invitation. Of course. Of course. All right. Have a good one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.